This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Benchmark Maps. Discover a new state in the American West with a Benchmark Maps Road and Recreation Atlas. Be it Alaska or California, Nevada or New Mexico, Benchmark Maps comes with all the information you'll need to plan your summer travels, like parks and monuments, campgrounds and RV parks, boating and fishing access, and more. And they're field-checked for accuracy so you'll know you're going in the right direction. Find their printed atlases and maps at your favorite outdoor stores, and if you order online at benchmarkmaps.com, use coupon code SHEEXPLORERS for 20% off your order. That's she explores with no space at benchmarkmaps.com for 20% off your order. This episode of She Explores is also brought to you by Aunt Fanny's. Aunt Fanny's makes worry-free cleaning products and essential oil-based pest solutions. Use as directed, all are pet safe, kid safe, home safe. It's funny, after trying out their products like their mosquito wipes and spray and vinegar-based cleaning products, I think about how much I wish I'd known about them when I was living on the road in a Sprinter van. Especially in tight confines like adventure vehicles, to know that the products you're using aren't full of harsh chemicals and smell like something you'd find in nature gives you peace of mind and fewer headaches. Learn more by heading to auntfannies.com. That's A-U-N-T-F-A-N-N-I-E-S.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. There's no substitute for, like, seeing that look on someone's face when they realize, like, bone deep, realize, like, I did this under my own power. Like, I did this. And for my mom, too, with knowing everything that went into it, it was just, like, really, really, really phenomenal to see her kind of take it in and, I think, have those realizations That's Megan Young, and she's talking about her mom, Lori Young. Together, they hiked to Annapurna Base Camp in Nepal. I interviewed them separately about the experience, and I found out right away that this is a mother-daughter pair with a lot in common. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Megan is, to me, uh, she's a, a force of nature. Ooh, let's see. My mom is, I know it sounds like such an overused phrase, but she really is a force of nature. It goes beyond their choice of words, though. They look alike, with piercing blue eyes and high cheekbones. They share a stubborn streak and an enormous capacity for kindness. There's also a kind of mutual admiration there, one that to me as an outsider who is also in her 30s with a mom in her 60s rings true of seeing each and the other as adults. Sure, the mother-daughter dynamic never goes away, but it also blooms into something else. She's an extraordinary, exquisite woman who is just pursuing her dreams and her passion. And um, part of me is very envious of what she's getting to do in her life. She made a decision to not go into a career that she didn't love. And um, it hasn't always been easy for her, but she, you know, she's a girl that can't never did a thing. She just keeps putting herself out there. And I, I am so proud of her. I mean, I take my hat off to her almost every single day when she posts something because She's so eloquent and expressive in what she writes. She's such a huge voice for women. 
I'm just in awe of her. I think she's just an extraordinary, exquisite woman. She has a huge presence and a really, really good heart. And she's incredibly tenacious. She's really resilient. She's fun. She's funny. She's sassy. She's incredibly stubborn, which is a trait I have definitely inherited from her. And I just love her to bits. Megan's a photographer and a writer who has built a career for herself using those skills outside. She's also the co-founder of PNW Outdoor Women. It's not too surprising. Lori and Megan's dad took their two daughters camping and hiking when they were growing up. But Megan's the one who stuck with it. I asked Lori what Megan was like as a little girl, and she told me not one, but two stories of Megan climbing ladders before she could even walk. And here's Megan, probably 11 months old. She wasn't walking yet. And she's at the very top of an extension ladder, like 20 some feet up in the air, just giggling at her dad. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) These are the kind of stories that get told over and over again in families, identifying and reiterating an adventurous spirit. Once again, just do, 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 crawled up these. And again, like they're cut at angles. So they're kind of difficult to maneuver. Um, She crawled up them, crawled all the way through the upstairs part and the um, attic windows were open and crawled out on the hot roof. And all of a sudden we could hear her screaming because the roof was hot. (laughs) And we had to go rescue her a little bit again. So I think back then that was uh, indicative of her um, wanderlust to go climb crazy mountains and ice walls and things like that. And Megan is adventurous. She's a woman who climbs mountains, takes risks, and has chosen a less traditional path. But the part of the story that doesn't always get told is why a little girl might be more willing to climb a ladder and push herself to step into the unknown. Because she knows she's supported. That that figurative ladder is on level ground, and her mom will be there for her if she cries. Megan's grateful for that foundation because it's not only given her the ability to get out and see the world, but to do so with a critical eye through a social justice lens. Before Nepal was even a thought for either Megan or Lori, It was November 2017, and Lori was celebrating her 60th birthday with a trip to Europe. In Italy, the unexpected happened. The accident in Italy, so I have no recollection of the fall. We were going out for an evening walk. Um, I've seen a picture um, where I'm, you know, completely strapped down, headlocked, et cetera, in, you know, an an ambulance thing, getting ready to leave for a hospital. So I fell down some stairs. How I don't know. They, the neurosurgeon thinks I hit head first, um, and my shoulder, and my shoulder is probably what saved my life because it took some of that blow. I ended up in a hospital, uh, the Citadel. The man I was with was in the waiting room. They evidently just put me in a wheelchair, and so here I had all this head trauma. I was hemorrhaging out my ear. And I, again, once again, I have no recollection of this. I guess I tried to escape the hospital twice with my feet kind of moving the wheelchair and then at one point I was just laying on the floor and I think it was many hours later where a paramedic came in and said started yelling at somebody that you know she's dying you need to 
you need to do something with her. <clears throat> so I think it was about 4.30 or so in the morning there. I remember just seeing, I think it was a CAT scan, a very old one machine. And then I don't really remember anything for about six days. Oof. I was actually, sorry, this is going to keep probably emotional. Um, I was leaving dinner. We had gone out to Revel, which is one of my favorite restaurants in Seattle with actually a friend, Paulina. And I was in the car with Matt, like sitting in the passenger seat and actually got a text from my mom's then boyfriend. And it was like, you know, they'd been sending us texts and usually they were like fun photos and things like that. So I'm thinking I was a little buzzed and had like a great dinner and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a fun photo. And then I opened it and I probably still have the message, but it was just like mom fell unconscious, like bleeding on the way to the hospital. And it was just like in an instant, like everything changed. So that was awful. (laughs) The really, really terrible part about it was it was a lot of waiting for information and because she went, ended up at a hospital in Italy where they didn't have translation services available, at least initially, we were just sort of waiting to hear like what was going on and trying to figure out if we needed to fly over there or, you know, what was going to happen. Lori was in and out of consciousness for six days. She was released from the hospital after nine, but still didn't know the extent of her injuries. It was another two weeks until she was able to fly home. She had to get CAT scans to make sure it was safe for her to fly. It was just a huge progression. Um, We finally, about five and a half months after my return, was finally able to get an MRI and uh, see a couple of different people. And then, you know, started having some pretty brutal surgeries and recoveries. And um, so I still have, you know, the traumatic brain injury. They feel that a couple, two to three more years that my brain will hopefully be healed. I still have this like massive lump on the back of my head, side of my head. And it's possible that I'll deal with those portions of the brain injury that I have now for the rest of my life. And part of me is like, shoot, but part of me is like, I got to come home, you know, I'm alive. And um, a lot of people don't. Most people who would have sustained the injuries to my brain would not be here talking to you. As Lori said, she'll be experiencing the effects of her traumatic brain injury for a while. The symptoms of a TBI manifest in different ways. For Lori, it's severe brain fatigue. So if she's concentrating really hard and overdoes it, she might have to take a whole day's worth of mental and physical rest. She also gets headaches and has some short-term memory loss. When she's tired, she flips words around. And she gets what she calls the whirly twirlies when she encounters sudden rapid movements like hands gesturing or lights flickering. It can be a lot to manage. So Megan was surprised when just over a year later, her mom expressed interest in a trip to Nepal. At, at what point in the, in the healing process did you ask her to join you in Nepal? Let's see, that happened in February. So at this point, she's had she's had a fusion of the vertebra in her neck. It's called cervical fusion. And she's had a biceps tendon repair surgery and another couple of things she had to fix and just like a bunch of PT and all these things. And so she's a year, a year and a half in. Um, 
but when we first talked about it, you know, she wasn't really like weight bearing on her arm, um, but she's been doing a lot better. And so it just seemed like she's in this sort of transitional moment. I think this happens with any trauma that we experience. It comes out of nowhere most of the time and it, it, it victimizes people. And there's a time where you don't really have any control over what's happening to you. You know, it's just rolling over you in waves and you do the best you can. And then I think then there starts to become this shift where people like regain a sense of agency and control and then sort of start to go into survivor mode. And for whatever reason, I felt like mom was transitioning to this more survivor mode, which seemed like a great time then to be like, hey, you're doing really well. (laughs) How about this? (laughs) So... Did you expect her to say yes? No, I I honestly thought she was going to be like, you're crazy. No. And initially, too, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, that would be cool in kind of a noncommittal way to where when we hung up the phone, because I had suggested it while we were chatting, I thought, oh, well, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. <laughs> and then she called me back and I was like, okay. <laughs> what drew you to take that trip with Megan to Nepal? Well, so when Megan just called and told me that she was going, I just, I always want to be my girl's cheerleader. I don't know. I don't feel like we have enough cheerleaders in the world, especially as women. I don't think women have enough cheerleaders and we don't have enough women cheering us on. (laughs) But I just thought this would be so cool to go and walk beside my daughter and go be a part of her world and what she is so passionate about instead of just being a, you know, liking all the pictures on Facebook or, you know, Instagram. I just really wanted to be with her and be a part of her journey that she's chosen. And why not Nepal? (laughs) Megan was doing the track to Everest Base Camp. Lori would meet her after. So we started putting it together. Megan was, you know, mom, I'm going to be in charge of this trip. You don't get to be the boss. I'm going to be the boss. Because, you know, she was worried about what will my brain do? Um, how will my body hold up? And and we're all really familiar on on what, how, you know, just how I just walk like a drunk person. I mean, when my, when my brain shuts me down, it's it's pretty apparent. And, uh, and she was like, and you have to get cleared by your whole medical team. And you have to get cleared by your physical therapist. You're going to have to be able to bear weight. Are you going to be able to do all these things? And I was like, oh, I don't know, but I'm, gosh, I'm going to give it my best shot. I mean, that's all you can do is put your best foot forward and hope it'll be enough. <laughs> <laughs> I basically gave mom a checklist because, you know, all jokes and hopes aside, um, for a person with the sort of category and depth of her injuries, it's like no small thing for her to have been able to do what we did. And so she had to get cleared by her entire medical team. And then because of the nature of trekking, I knew she would need to be training and she needed to be able to use trekking poles, you know, carry a pack with at least 15, 10 to 15 pounds of weight in it. Um, and with her recent shoulder surgery, you know, that was going to be an issue. And she needed to be able to be load bearing on her trekking poles too. So that way she could catch a fall. Um, So I think for me, it was just a lot of me saying, all right, mom, you know, very seriously, like, these are the things that you're going to have to be able to do in order to make this safe. Because when it comes to safety, just in the mountains in general, and especially with my mom, like I, I do not mess around with that. 
Um, so if at any point in time I had felt it was going to be unsafe, I would not have, um, done it with her. So I think, you know, she really picked up on that and respected that too. That stubborn streak they share, it was pretty evident in Lori's training. My physical therapist said the most you're going to be able to pack is eight pounds, 10 pounds, because of just the shoulder and the neck won't be able to handle that stress. And so I had two months and I used to work out in a gym a lot. Um, I was almost at the status of where I could become a personal trainer if I wanted to. So I was like, okay, so we always walk around my lake pretty much twice a day and probably like two to three miles. Megan was like, mom, you're going to have to walk, you know, six to 10 miles a day if you can. I was like thinking, oh my gosh. Like, So I started getting up earlier, um, increasing the length of the walk and just trying to get what that would feel like and just trying to kind of uh, imitate what it would feel like to use trekking poles. And again, trying to get you know, my um, right arm where it would just even move with that motion. And just even that was pretty painful. And so then I, you know, put the pack on and I put like five pounds in it. And so I started doing that twice a day. And so once again, just kind of moving my arm um, to, because at that point in time, I couldn't even bend it probably two or three inches up from being straight. So by the time I was done, I could bring it all the way up to my shoulder. So that was a lot of, that was a lot of work. (laughs) And then I started doing, I have this one hill. So I was like, you're going to have to do mass hill climbs. So I started doing that and I would do like 30. And then a week later I'd be, okay, now you're going to do 35. Then a week later it'd be, you're going to have to do 40. And so I kept at, you know, adding to it. And I would drag my friends into crazy. There's um, a hill in Olympia called the courthouse hill. And it's brutal. It's what all the serious athletes train for STP, big marathons it's like it's just almost it feels like it's straight up and down so they would they would go up and down that with me and so I started whenever I was in Olympia um, after physical therapy I would go hit Capitol Lake and walk around that like three or four times packing four or five miles then I hit that hill five or six or seven times so and then the other hill out here at my lake I was doing 45 50 times um, every other day And then at night, I was doing 200 flights of stairs, and I was doing it with the pack. And once again, still trying to get more upper, you know, mobility. We we don't, I don't, still don't have really any strength in my upper body, but just getting more mobility. And then I got the great idea, well, let's order a high altitude mask and just scare (laughs) the cred out of everybody who sees you. (laughs) So she would basically just give me like weekly training updates and it was really cool to hear sort of the excitement with which she was approaching it. And she like went so far as to get in a high altitude training mask, which is terrifying if you haven't seen photos of those. Um, and it was, I think, really, really good motivation for her to be really diligent about doing her PT and be really diligent about getting up and walking around and moving her body, which is awesome. So I think that like her excitement really helped me also because I had to do some training beforehand and then while I was trekking you know I was still getting updates and it was fun to hear just how excited she was the closer and closer you know we came to to her arriving in Nepal. I went to bed hurting every night (laughs) went to bed in pain every night because it was brutal carrying that much weight on my the cervical fusion and the the shoulder surgery stuff it was it was brutal 
But I was determined and I had so many friends who were like, why do you have to do this? And I'm like, well, I could be in pain here or I could be in pain in Nepal. <laughs> we'll hear about their Nepal trip after this. Parks Project doesn't just make beautifully designed apparel and accessories that are inspired by our national parks. Each collection they design helps fund a project in a park. They have partnered with over 40 different conservancies and nonprofits across the U.S., providing vital funding for the ongoing care of national parks. I talked with Jess, a member of the Parks Project team, about how they're executing on the mission of Parks Project to promote, protect, and preserve public lands. Here's Jess. So we have working relationships with over 40 national park nonprofit partners, and as the boots on the ground in the parks, these partners can share with us their high priority needs and also help us track the progress of the projects we are funding. Can you provide an example of, of one of those projects? Yeah, so a great example is the Joshua Tree National Park Association. Our Joshua Tree products help fund the native plant nursery in the park. So the association is able to share with us the costs of running the nursery and the tangible outcome of our donation amount, which is to date over 20,000 plants propagated in the nursery. The association also sells our products at their in-park store where 100% of the proceeds support the park. So we're proud to not only be a business, but a charitable partner with the Joshua Tree National Park Association. Tell me about the big milestone that Parks Project just hit. So we recently have reached the half million mark. So to date, we've given back $506,750 to the parks. And we've also logged about 2,822 volunteer hours. So it's really exciting for us. We're here as advocates for the parks and we want to make sure any information is easy and the parks are accessible. And by doing so, inspiring and engaging, especially the younger generations to get involved in supporting these places that they love to go explore in and visit and know that as a community together, we can all leave it better than we found it. And that's kind of our mantra here at Parks Project, to leave it better than we found it and for that, feel better for it. Learn more about Parks Project by heading to parksproject.us and use code SHEEXPLORERS for 15% off all discountable products. That's parksproject.us and code SHEEXPLORERS for 15% off. We're back. Once you had done all this training, you're on the plane. You know, I'm sure there's multiple legs of the flight, but like you're you're on your way over to meet Megan in Nepal. Like what was going through your mind then? Oh, I was just scared to death. I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> please, please, please let that person show up from the hotel <laughs> to take you to take you from the airport to the hotel because Nepal just just seemed like I was going to the other side of the world. Which I was. And I was also just really, really excited. And again, because I, um, Gail, I had no really idea of what we were going to be doing and what it was going to look like. It was, I was just open for the experience. And I was just like, this is just going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, I came, God brought me home from Italy and he's going to bring me home from Nepal. Neither Lori nor Megan went into the trip with a lot of defined expectations. Here's Megan. 
So I definitely had, you know, knew it's a developing country. So I was expecting there to be just things to be different than they are here in terms of lack of infrastructure. You know, obviously, I think we all know that Nepal's just been rocked to by natural disaster after natural disaster. And when you're both a developing nation and one in recovery, you know, I, I expected not necessarily a lot in terms of um, like resources. And I also knew that there's like a strong like between Hindu and Buddhism, like sort of faith um, presence there, which I thought was going to be really cool to see. And I also had, you know, learned a lot about just the trekking industry in general and like the way that oftentimes like there's a lot of inequality there um, for the Sherpa porters and even guides too. So I was really curious to see what that was like um, when we were actually there and to sort of see it with my own two eyes. So I didn't, I had sort of like a framework for what I thought I was going to see. Um, but I don't know. It's, I don't even know if it like <laughs> mapped onto reality or it did or it didn't, or it, I don't know. It was just so incredible too. It's kind of hard to think about like what I even thought before I went there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a question that I should have asked you before you left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I asked Megan to set the scene for me, what the plan was when Lori arrived in Nepal. In preparing for this interview, Lori told me that the trip was a big onion. So even though the two women didn't have a lot of expectations, it kept revealing new layers and unexpected turns. This is maybe not funny. Well, it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time, but <laughs> I was uh, due to arrive back into Nepal two days after I was had mom arrive. I wanted her to have time to get over her jet lag. So I got back from my trek to base camp, EBC, and <laughs> I was at the hotel where mom was supposed to be. And she was telling me she was in the lobby and I was in the lobby and we couldn't find each other. And so I sort of realized, oh my God, somehow we ended up switching the hotels. So she was at a different hotel in the middle of Kathmandu. <laughs> and that was like a moment of panic inducing. And I was pretty sick at that point in time too. So I was just trying to figure out where she was. And thankfully she was a block away at a hotel of a very similar name. So oh, wow. everything was fine. But it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, cool, cool. I lost my mom in Kathmandu. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... That's a, you know, I think a nice thing to get over your jet lag. Um, if you're going to be spending any time trekking anywhere, always kind of good if you have that option. And then we were set to take a bus ride to Pokhara. And from there, we were going to start our trek, which was going to be six days. And then we were going to have some recovery days back in Kathmandu to like see temples and do a little shopping and so on and so forth. And then we would fly back home after that. So mom had two weeks in Nepal, more or less. And I had a month, um, which was great. And then as usually happens, I ended up getting pneumonia. Um, and so the day that I got back from my trek and met up with her, I actually went to the hospital. <laughs> so my poor mom, you know, has been training and flies all the way over from, well, from Olympia where she lives to Nepal. And we're just hanging out in the emergency room of a hospital. And I was like, <sighs> well, this hopefully isn't very triggering for you because this is not how I anticipated things going. I was so grateful that it hadn't turned, gone into pulmonary that it was just going to be at the pneumonia stage. 
but it was scary. I mean, it was really, really scary. And Megan doesn't like for you to ask her, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? So I've learned to not do that, but I still wanted to keep bugging her. And I wanted just to like be right there and hold her hand. Hmm. Was there any concern that the um, that the trek might not happen? Oh, absolutely. Because um, the doctor said she can't, you know, she shouldn't go do anything physical for four or five days. And, and we were in the hospital on a Friday night. And we were supposed to leave Monday for um, Pokhara. And so I just wanted her well. I just, just wanted her well. We were, you know, trying to get her on all these different meds. And Tessa back home was like, what are they putting her on? And she got, you know, she got pretty good rest that night in, in the hospital when we stayed there. But it really was going to be the next few days. And then when we did the really long bus ride, uh, probably we should have just glued her butt to the bed, but it was hard to do. And we got to Pokhara and that long bus ride just did her in. And so the next day she just stayed in bed all day. And that was just going to kind of be our, do we get to go or not get to go? And um, and Megan's like, mom, you were really bummed. And I said, you know, Megan, I was bummed that I had done all that training, but I wasn't really bummed because I'd done all that training because it was, it was a really good, hard thing for me to do and push through a lot of walls. I think whenever you push yourself and you come out on the other side of Victor, it's always a good thing. And I said, my concern was I didn't, like, I wanted you well. And if we weren't going to trek, we were going to go do something else. Same story that if I wasn't going to be able to make it up the mountain, we were going to go do something different. We were going to go explore Nepal in a different way. And, um, but it was scary when you hear, you know, pneumonia, but and you're hoping it won't turn into anything more. It's not anything part of, you know, the high altitude pulmonary issues. So I'm really glad we got her in when we did. I think the next day would have been a different story. But it was a bummer. And then we both ended up with but the Everest cred. We were coughing and blowing our noses the whole time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. The Everest crud. I've never heard that that phrase before. I was calling it the Everest crud. Like they all came down from Everest Base Camp with this cold. Oh. <laughs> I was finally released and then we made it to Pokhara, but then I was still feeling really sick. So we added some rest days on before we started the trek because I knew I couldn't do it. And then still made it happen, which was awesome. But there are always unexpected surprises on every adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Megan and Lori hit the trail after this. It's not easy to get all the nutrients we need to keep our bodies healthy for the long run, which is why Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women, comes in handy. Ritual's essentials have all the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in clean, absorbable forms. It's been over a year since I started using Ritual through this podcast. I've never really been a vitamin person, but I like the Ritual, and I like knowing I have my bases covered from a nutrition standpoint, especially when I'm on the move. From D3 to Omega-3, Ritual's Essential for Women helps fill gaps in women's diet. Their no-nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh, so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most Omega-3s. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. 
Visit ritual.com slash explore to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash explore. We're back. What was the the first day like on your trek? <laughs> oh, man, it was it was much more brutal than expected. So we got up and had breakfast and then we started with a drive and it was supposed to be a, a, supposed to be kind of a mellow drive. But turns out it's a road that we were taking. that's very p- prone to flooding. So we <laughs> also were supposed to be in an SUV, but ended up in essentially the equivalent of a geo metro and so there's three men and my mom and I and all of our packs in this tiny car like backpacks on our laps going up this road that's pretty rugged and bottoming out and like oh my gosh occasionally there'd be streams flowing across the road and so the the guides would get out and then they would push the car and the guy would just try to gun it up the hill to get through them and eventually probably after the 20th time there was a really bad like horrific scraping sound from the bottom of the car we flagged down a different car so we did gotten popped into an SUV and then made the rest of the trip so it's like a four-hour drive and then the trek was honestly it was advertised as an easy trek which is why I selected it for my mom Um, and it was I would say anything but. So the first (laughs) bit was like, you know, it started hot and then there are just a lot of steep up and downhill sections with a lot of stairs. (laughs) Um, So my poor mom who had her accident falling down stone stairs is suddenly like going up and down thousands of stone stairs. (laughs) And then it started pouring rain and then there was thunder and lightning. And for me, I felt okay with that having been in similar experiences. But mom was like, should we is it safe for us to keep going? (laughs) So it's hot. We're getting dumped on that, you know, there are bugs. Um, But also I loved it because it was just like so cool to, after all these questions of will this work out, like to actually be on the trail with her. Um, But, you know, we stopped for a snack. I think I have a picture of her and she's just like (laughs) glowing. We'll say glowing Um, and (laughs) kind of already exhausted going, well, (laughs) didn't expect that many stairs today so it was really cool then you know because it was I think we maybe did eight or ten miles and I'm not sure how much elevation gain there was but you know it was pretty significant with the up and down so when we finally got to our our tea house we were staying at that night and the cloud sort of cleared and we sort of got our first glimpse of the mountains and there was a little bit of alpine glow and I think that's the first time mom at least in my time had seen that and it was pretty incredible to watch her go Oh, well, this is real nice. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was a long day. How how were you feeling physically then? I was honestly feeling better than I thought I would. I was on like eight different antibiotics and a whole bunch of other medicines. So I was definitely my lungs didn't feel well and I was still feeling kind of achy, but just trying to like hold it together for mom because I wanted to make sure that like she felt supported and she felt safe. Um, And I also was trying to stay behind her because I wanted to make sure I could keep an eye on her. Um, You know, it's good to be stubborn and to push yourself. But the downside to that sometimes when you're in the mountains and you are dealing with the things she's in recovery from, it can mean you're not making maybe the best decisions and you just need a reminder like hey mom it's okay to slow down it's okay to take a rest 
you know, there's no, this isn't a race. The most important thing is just that we get wherever we're going to get to safely. So I, I think almost like having her to worry about made me be able to like kind of ignore what my own body was saying. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I think. You talked about um, like setting expectations starting out and that you might make safety calls in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other ways did you like manage, you know, some of the fear that you had around your mom and, and her safety? One thing I really made sure to reiterate to her was that like, you know, mom, we don't know how this is going to go for any of us. Like at any point in time, anyone can get, you know, fall ill or whatever on a trip. And the biggest thing I need from you is to be perfectly honest with me about how you're doing, because if we don't make it, we don't make it. And that's fine. So I guess it's almost like safety, but also like an emotional safety thing, like, because we didn't know how it would be for her. I just, I wanted her to know that like, if we don't make it, this is still a win. Um, if we don't make it, that's okay. Plenty of people don't make it. The most important thing is, is just really safety. Um, and then I, you know, I tried to also just make sure she knew kind of like what it what it was we were getting into and like kind of how hard it would be but that's it's kind of hard to talk about those things and and then also just basic things too like teaching her if we had to cross a stream that she had to unbuckle her backpack and just some some silly not silly that's not silly at all actually it's super important um but just things like that yeah that you might take for granted going out with another friend who is more practiced oh yeah and even that too like you know it's eating and snacking constantly when you're having big days is really big too. So making sure that she was set up to be like hydrated and making sure that um, she knew when to take her Diamox and that she had all of her other pills sorted out. And um, that was really important too, because she's still on and not a decent amount, but she's still on some medicine for her, the things that she's been going through too. So yeah, just like a lot of those things, like how to pack your backpack, like how to adjust your backpack for maximum comfort and you know, just a lot of different things that we went over, which was which was honestly great. It was really fun to sort of it's funny when you become like the teacher with your parent, you know, <laughs> so it was it was nice to, you know, be able to help her with all of those things. So when you two did get started hiking, um, how did you kind of balance the fear that you had for for Megan, you know, and, and her health and then the fear that you had for, for your own safety and, and ability level on the trail? Oh, well, I always want to say that fear is false evidence appearing real. Um, it wasn't so much in, in this case. So I was, I kept looking at Megan again. She doesn't like be bugged. How are you doing? How are you doing? Um, when we got to our first, um, tea house at night, we were joyful. I mean, she was joyful, I think, because she did it. And I was joyful because I made it. And she, you know, she would just keep taking all her meds. And I and I could tell that she was doing better, but I was still worried about her. I mean, I was just like, she's may I'm just gonna trust in her that she's gonna pull. If she needs to pull the pull the plug, we're gonna that's it, we're gonna pull the plug and we're gonna get back out. Um, for me, the fear was, I think first starting out because I was just like, Oh, so this is what we're doing. And Oh, this is kind of hard. And Oh, you know, or don't look up just learning the different things that you could get your mind through it. But the going down part, 
because you would go up a thousand steps and then you go down a thousand steps or go up a thousand feet and then go back down a thousand feet. And I was like, no, I just worked so hard to get up there. I don't want to go back down again. <laughs> there were parts where there were these big slate steps that, and some of the, the height, the rises on were 12, 14 inches. They were pretty big. And some of them, maybe even more than that. But going down them was so hard for me. And I, I said to Megan, I, I said, I don't know why I have so much fear because I don't remember my fall. And she was like, because mama, that fall, you know, messed up your life a lot for the last year and a half. And you've gone through a lot of pain and suffering and surgeries and things. And, um, and I just kept hearing in my head, you know, plant your poles well, you know, own your purchase, you know, but it was, I was in so much fear, Gail, um, the whole entire time going down more than going up. And then the our second night we were in Dovan and um, the guide spoke with Megan and said that tomorrow we were going to do probably 15, 16 miles and we were going to do 3,500 ascent in elevation. My medical team had signed me off on 1,800 feet a day with a day rest which we weren't going to be able to do that because we're going to do this trek now in five days and nobody does this trek typically under nine days. <laughs> so here we are going with pneumonia and busted up body <laughs> and we're going to like kill it. <laughs> so just because the company misadvertised what they were doing. But so I went into like, I was going to bawl. I was going to cry. I was, I didn't know what, if my brain could handle that much oxygen deprivation that quickly in one day without having any, you know, adjustment to it, which is why, you know, they, most trekkers only do so many feet in elevation at a time. So I got up in the morning and I put my boots on and I was like, we're just going to see what we can do. And Megan was like, mama, we're just going to see what we can do. And if you can't do it, then we'll stop. And that was just kind of our mantra that we had the whole time. If we can't do it, we stop. We give it our best. You do your best. And that was kind of like my whole thing when I was training. I'm going to give it my best. So when I hit that mountain, I know that I gave it my best shot. And, um, you know, no regrets. And so we did it. We were, we did, I think Megan said 15 miles that day, um, in about that many hours. And we did, Megan said, close to 4,000 foot ascent when we hit Machu Picchu A. Wow. You pushed your limits and like went right past them, what you thought they were. Yeah, crazy. It was crazy. But again, it's not like you can, like nobody's going to come get you and go, okay, well, you can, you know, we'll just take you home now. <laughs> so you just put one foot in front of the other and, and, and I had Megan behind me all the time, um, encouraging me and watching me. And I'm sure it was very heart wrenching for her too. always, especially when I would start to fall or slip or she'd be like, mom, I just, it had to be horrific for her. But yeah, it was it was a big push. It was a big push. Day three was the day we actually made it up to Annapurna Base Camp. So we got up at I think two a.m. or maybe one thirty to start our push. And 
honestly, though, like the biggest thing for me was just like, I didn't care if we didn't make it. But on the same token, I wanted mom to make it because I wanted her to have that like sense of awe and sense of wonder and to know that she had done that like under her own power. Um, And I also like, I knew she was pushing through so much fear and emotion, but I was also like dealing with my own um, sort of fear, like being behind her and, you know, every time she would have like a little stutter step or there were a couple of times where I literally caught her by her backpack strap and like pulled her up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really scary for me too, but I didn't want to let on that I was scared for multiple reasons. One, because, you know, sometimes, sometimes one person is enough. And so I was like, I can sort of suck this up for mom because I don't want her to see that I'm maybe scared too, because I don't want her to think about that. I just want her to think about it being great. And two, when mom sort of announced that she was going to do this, a bunch of her friends who are very well-meaning people who love her, um, who were also scared by the accident, they didn't want her to go. Like to the point where some of them were saying, I'll buy your ticket. Like you shouldn't go, you know, this is insane. Like, what are you thinking? And I don't ever want to subscribe to that kind of fear mindset. Um, and I don't want to be the person that says, mom, I'm scared for you. So instead of you living your life fully, I want you to just live it within the confines of my fear. If that makes sense. I wanted her to have this full glorious experience. And so I also had to catch my own self and my own fear and make sure that I could be there for her and support her. But it was, you know, I was thinking to myself a couple times, it's like a pretty steep drop off in their steps and she was getting tired and tottery. Like, Hmm. holy shit, if mom falls right here and like falls off the edge of this, like what, like what, what have I done? Kind of. But it was just like, take a deep breath and keep eyes on her and keep going and keep being there. So I, I mean, I really think that like the hardest part for me wasn't, it wasn't physical because I actually felt shockingly way better than I thought I was going to, maybe just from being conditioned from the, the other track, but just like pushing through. And so on our summit day, we, we wore micro spikes because you go over some like old glacier and snow fields and um, she was walking with her feet too close together and she actually caught one spike on the other and she fell. Um, and she fell forward and she can't try to catch herself because she just had this surgery on her shoulder. So I just like tried to lunge forward to catch her and I'm, it felt like it was in slow motion, like watching her fall and then hit her face. And I was just like, Jesus, oh my God. Um, and that was terrifying and she was she had cut her face so she was like bleeding quite a bit but I did a little like (laughs) just like um checked her pupils and everything and she seemed like she was ruffled up and she was gonna have some some bruising but she was okay so and that was with inside of base camp so we made it up and I washed off her face and (laughs) and then it was really cool like she we had hot cocoa and um we took some pictures and like you could just tell that she was like, you know, she did it. I mean, I think that's the coolest thing about being outside with anyone, but much less my mom with this journey is like, there's no substitute for like seeing that look on someone's face when they realize like bone deep, realize like, 
I did this under my own power. Like I did this. And for my mom too, with knowing everything that went into it, it was just like really, really, really phenomenal to see her kind of take it in. And I think have those realizations. And we talked about it actually, because I think one of the coolest things is sort of not knowing where my physical limits are and always feeling like I'm testing that in some way. And so with mom, you know, I was like, you know, mom, how cool is it that you didn't think this could be possible for you? And it was like, and you found out that this isn't where your physical limit is. And she goes, well, it was hard. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but, but it wasn't your limit. Like how cool that they're, you know, who knows what you're still capable of. Like, that's a really, really wonderful thing. And, and you're tougher than you think you are. Well, I mean, it just, I had to, I had to train so hard and push so hard. And every time you wanted to stop, I was like, nope, you can't stop. Nope, you can't stop. Nope, nope, nope. And, um, and we did it, you know, and, and just like that one day from Dovan to Machu Picchu, going almost 4,000 foot elevation game. That was crazy bananas. <laughs> uh, but we did it, you know, it was pushing pushing past what you think you can do and again can't never did a thing right tell me about when you arrived at Annapurna base camp when I arrived at Annapurna base camp the very first thing that we had to do first of all I thought for sure my fingers were frozen off and just you could just touch them and just plink and they just fly off there's <laughs> um the first thing that we did is Megan bought a cup of hot water um because so she could wash all the blood off my face and um because I had just been smearing it you know from the whole time until it, it quit bleeding and um so, and she'd asked the guide if he had a first aid kit and he didn't, but we did, we each had one because Megan was very thorough in our list of what we needed to take. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was what she did. She, you know, she became my nurse now taking, you know, taking care of me um, and just, you know, getting, just getting all the blood off of me and then, you know, applying a salve and then, you know, getting it, you know, where you could put band-aids and stuff on it and, um, and just getting me something hot to drink because I was shaking. I, and I don't know if I was shaking from just the fall and the pain or the whatever because it had been at least an hour since I think I fell. But um, And then we met a couple other people who were just like, oh, my God, you made it, and that's so cool, and stuff like that. Um, and so we just kind of did that, and it was just kind of this moment of, oh, we did it. Like, we made it. And then it was like, okay, now we have to turn around and start going back down. <laughs> and, and that was, and then we went back to Machu Picchu and um, had breakfast. And then we didn't stop until, I don't know, seven o'clock that night. We stopped wow. at like three in the morning. It was a very long day. Is there, is there anything that you learned about your mom when you guys were out there? Um, uh, man, I feel like 
I guess is like a really deep reinforcement of a lot of the things that like I already know and love and respect about her. You know, it was so funny. Like at one point in time, she's when we were little, she used to sing this like wake up song to my sister and I, which we loved at one point in time. And now it is like the, oh God, mom, not this. But, you know, she just has like, like a seemingly endless capacity for like trying to connect with other people and like trying to bring joy into their lives, which I really loved. And it was good too. Like we had some good and challenging conversations. You know, mom does a lot of like volunteer work and like disaster work when she's here. And that's really awesome. But also when people like us go to places like Nepal, the way that that can read is like white savior complex kind of, (laughs) which like, Mm. you know, try sitting down with your 61 year old mom and talking about white savior complex. (laughs) It's a trip, (laughs) you know? So we're like having this conversation and it, and I understand for her that was like, yeah, but these are my intentions and this is where my heart is. And I was like, totally makes sense, mom. But also, you know, consider, consider these things. And it was really, really great to see her engage in the conversation with me because, you know, it could have been, it could have gone horribly. <laughs> and I love that she was also like willing to admit what things that she didn't know and willing to engage in the conversation and willing to like challenge her own self and her own thinking on that. And so that was really cool. Cause I obviously have a, like a lot of thoughts about a lot of social justice things. Um, but sometimes we have less conversations about them, like at a deeper level. And so I loved getting to do that with her. Yeah. Cause one of the things that you wanted to reiterate about this experience is that yeah, there were challenges, but it was, you know, all relative. And also, I mean, you said that it was a privileged experience that you were able to go and and take that trip and do that hike. Yeah, totally. Like, absolutely. And I think, too, that it is a good thing for people like us who want to go visit to remember, too, that like the one of the best things that we can do is go in with a sense of respect and still bring our own ethics and then to contribute to the local economy do our part to, you know, not make things worse. And people have the right to sort of like the Nepali people and the Nepali government, like they get to self-determine, you know, what that is. It's not our job to go over there and be like, well, you need to do this this way because it's how I like it. So it was really nice to have those conversations with mom and to kind of remember that while we were over there. What did you learn about Megan through this experience? So I learned a lot of things about Megan. First of all, Megan is a great, great person to travel with because she's got like all the apps on her phone about where to find a hotel or to do this or to do that. Um, She knows all the things that you need to turn off on your phone so you're not using all your whatevers. So she's a fabulous, fabulous person to um, travel with. Um, What I learned about Megan was that she once again she had to push through she had to push through pneumonia um and you know drag herself up we were both like kind of pneumonia beat up like you know both were like we're gonna do this i learned that she has so much so much experience as an outdoor woman as a mountaineering type woman so much knowledge And I got to watch her be the cheerleader and the support person with the group that she did on Everest, which just made me that much prouder of her that she got to be, 
I mean, she was my cheerleader, but she got to be their cheerleader and encourage and support them and also kind of pull them back in and go, no, 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 we're not doing a potty break every 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I know why they wanted to do that because <laughs> that was how they were taking a break to breathe. <laughs> she's just so knowledgeable in the outdoors and she she's so great with people and she's just such an established traveler that it was just fun to watch her. It was fun to hear her sharing stories with other people who have trekked and gone here and gone there. Um, so it was, it was just really fun to see her in her element, to be, to be with her in her element. It's not often, as adult mothers and daughters, that we get to invite each other into our worlds. Lori entered Megan's world and pushed through the challenges. She supported Megan when she needed it and accepted her daughter's care and concern in turn. Megan's still climbing that ladder, looking back to see if her mom is there behind her. This time, she didn't have to look far. Lori was right there beside her, heading up slowly but surely. I was so honored to be with my daughter and share Nepal with her. I was honored to be with her. It was awesome. Thank you to Lori and Megan for sharing your story. You can follow Megan on Instagram at Miss Megan Young. I'll link where to find them in our show notes. Thanks to our sponsors, Benchmark Maps, Aunt Fanny's, Parks Project, and Virtual. As always, discount codes and websites are linked in the show notes and on the episode landing page. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are two easy ways to help support us. First, spread the word. You can do this by leaving a review where you listen or sharing the podcast with a friend. Second, join our She Explores podcast Facebook group. I love seeing you all connect with each other and ask each other for outdoor advice, as well as sharing each other's triumphs and challenges. Music is by Lee Rosevere, Kay Ankle, and Josh Woodward. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, have fun out there. <laughs>